that, uh, that just happened. And this is why I say watch CNN, watch the news, uh, see Scripture unfold right before your eyes. The, the past few weeks we've been talking about Gog and Magog and talking about the alliance between Russia and Iran. And we talked about how the, their, that alliance led by Gog, who is, who is the Russian dictator, um, in conjunction with his allies, including Iran and some of the other surrounding nations, uh, the, the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that they will eventually attack Israel. And so when we, when we hear what we just heard, we recognize that, in fact, uh, Scripture is unfolding before us and that we're starting to see some of these things begin to move in, in the direction that actually God said they would move, prophesied some 2,500 years ago. Uh, this morning, while you and I were sleeping at 3 a.m., I think most of us were sleeping at 3 a.m., you uh, may have heard this morning that, that the Palestinians fired some 50 rockets on Israel. When we look at, when we look at what's happening with the nation of Israel, we begin to recognize that God is, is doing something in this world uh, that has not happened for, for hundreds of years. We're starting to see an unfo- a fulfillment, an unfolding of God's great plan in these last days. Now, some people say, you know, is it really that significant? And the, the answer is absolutely yes, it is significant. And the reason is, is because, because God has a plan, a plan for this world, a plan of redemption, a plan to renew this world, and his plan is to do this through Jesus Christ. God tells us what the signs will be leading up to that great, that great millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ will reign. So here's the thing. The question that I need to, to put to you today. Why is it, as we see all these signs unfold, why is it that so many pastors and preachers are silent on the subject? Why, are they, why do they not talk about it? And especially when you consider that nearly a third of the Scripture, as was pointed out, nearly a third of the Scripture is, in fact, prophecy. We've already seen most of the prophecies of the, of the Scriptures come true. We've got about, some Bible scholars say, about another 14% to unfold yet. When we recognize that some 60, 62 of the 66 books of the Bible deal with prophecy, you've got to ask a question, why is it that pastors nowadays are silent, or fairly silent, on the subject of prophecy? You will find in most churches, that, that especially in North America, that pastors so often, preachers so often, are, are dealing with maybe a sort of a pop psychology kind of message on a Sunday morning, and, and they're, they're not touching a third of the Scripture. A third of the Scripture is left unpreached. Well, I'm going to just share with you some of my thoughts on why that probably is. Because I can tell you that back in the 1970s, we used to hear a lot about the end times. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of, of the movement to which we belong, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, you will find that at the beginning of this movement, there was a, a massive interest 
and a, and a, and a constant reminder that we were living in the last days. And it was uh, over, over 100 years ago now that pastors in, in, our, in our movement began to recognize that, we were, that, 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 that the signs were starting to unfold. We were starting to see uh, Israel uh, build up again in terms of, of people returning to its homeland. We talked about that over the past few weeks. And, and of course, there was the Balfour Declaration that, that declared that Israel should be able to have a homeland. And this, of course, got the Bible scholars really excited because, of course, they would look to Ezekiel chapter 37 and uh, 36, in fact, and they saw that, in fact, this is what Ezekiel said was going to happen. And then, of course, the magic moment, as we all know, was 1948 when the United Nations declared that Israel was, was a, a sovereign state. Now, folks, listen to me. This, this, this so- Israel being a sovereign state was a brand, brand new idea to modern man. In fact, Israel had not been a sovereign state since the time uh, of Ezekiel, some 2,500 years earlier. So pastors began to really recognize, Bible scholars seemed to really recognize that they were seeing the Bible unfold, that they were seeing the signs of the end. And you've heard me say it, that the major sign that we had entered into the last days was Israel becoming a nation. We, said, we called that the beginning of the end. And then we talked about the battle of Gog and Magog when, when Russia, who's Magog, with his allies, Iran, and that's why I showed that video clip, because this is hot off the press, why this, this alliance would move against, against Israel is as a fulfillment of prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, last week we talked about, uh, about just touched briefly on the Antichrist, and I said I wanted to talk to you about that today. I held, I held the series over for another extra Sunday so we could discuss that. Um, why then aren't pastors talking about these things when the signs are so obvious and the signs are coming to pass even before our very eyes, even within the last few days? Number one, I believe that there's a lack of belief in the power of God's word. Paul tells us uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, that he did not hesitate to preach the full counsel of God's word. Folks, the full counsel of God's word includes that third of the scripture that is prophecy. So pastors, they maybe just don't, don't believe in the power of God's word. They don't believe what the Bible says. And so here's the thing. If you're going to use this book as simply a, a, a pop psychology textbook, well, you're going to get some really good ideas in there. But folks, it's not the full counsel. And the only reason I can think that a pastor would not be preaching the full book is because they simply don't believe it. In fact, Jesus says to the Pharisees, remember they, had, they, they were preaching and speaking error, and Jesus says this, you're in error because you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. We read that in Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. So here's the thing, if you know the scripture and you're, if you're looking at the full counsel of the scripture, then you cannot ignore prophecy. And so I, as your pastor, who's trying to to do the best that I can, because I know someday I'm going to answer to Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to give an account, I have to preach to you once in a while on the subject of prophecy. The second reason I think pastors don't preach prophecy is because of a lack of knowledge and sound Bible training. They don't understand it. 
So when you read words like Gog, how many, maybe, let's just be honest here. How many of us, when we read about Gog and Magog and Put and, uh, and Gomer, we, we look at that and we scratch our heads and we can't relate to that. We don't know who these people are, what these places are. We don't know if it's a thing, a person, place, or thing. And so we just send to, you know, skip over that book. Well, here's, here's what you need to know today is that First of all, as, as believers, we need to be students of the full Scripture. But especially if you're called to be a pastor, you can't just skip over this stuff. You've got to be a detective. You've got to search it out. You've got to know what you're talking about. And so that's what I try to do as your pastors. I try to make sure that I do my detective work, that I wrestle with some of these passages that are maybe not always easy to understand. Furthermore, let me just say this. <laughs> We read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, that everybody who reads the prophecy and who studies the prophecy will, ex- will, will actually be, be blessed by God for it. And Revelation 1, 3, blessed is he who reads, those, uh, who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. And so you understand then that there is actually a promise of blessing to all who study the prophetic word, and to see what signs have come to pass and what things are about to happen around us. Well, there's a third reason why pastors aren't preaching Bible prophecy, and it's because they're afraid. And frankly, this is one of the things that I struggle with. I don't want to be lumped in with the prophecy nuts. You know what a prophecy nut is? Is one that's all they can talk about. They don't actually... They're the ones who concentrate on the third of the Bible and skip out the two-thirds. So I'm saying let's not skip out the two-thirds and concentrate on just the third. Let's look at the whole scripture, amen? Yeah. So here's the thing. I don't want to be known as a prophecy nut or somebody who peddles sensationalism. We read in, um, uh, in 1989, a book came out. Kathleen will remember this, my sister. Uh, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1989. Now I can tell you, when I, when I read that book, it, it all seemed to make sense. But here's the problem, is that this, the author of that book broke the cardinal rule of, of, of prophecy and, and the study of prophecy, and that is you do not predict a date. You don't talk about dates. You don't know the dates. We know, we know seasons or periods of time in history when things happen, but we don't know specific dates. So I can tell you this. In 1989, I know where I was. I was in Greece. Gloria and I were missionaries there. And um, we remember listening to Voice of America. And we heard that, that uh, the, the wall in Berlin was coming down. It was the end of communism, and it was exciting. I thought, well, maybe this is it. Maybe Jesus is going to come back. Well, here we are in 2012, and Jesus has not returned yet. So guess what? All those who read a book like, like Jesus, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Returns by 1989, they read that. They say it didn't happen. And so now what? Now they're jaded. Now they think, oh, well, there's no point. You can't predict it. You can't understand it. Okay, listen to me. We get into trouble when we do things we're not supposed to do. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, so why are we predicting it? It's because you're a prophecy nut, because you want to be sensational. Some of you will remember last year, beginning of the year, uh, it was Harold Camping who predicted that that the rapture would happen on May 21st, 2011. How many remember that? Remember the billboards that were up and everybody was like, oh, this could be it, right? And so May 11, 21st came and then I think he, he, he tweaked it a bit and said, well, no, I made a mistake in my calculations. It's actually this date. Of course, it wasn't that date either and we're still here in 2012. Pastors don't, don't preach it because they're afraid of being lumped in with, the, with, those, with, that, with that lot. 
Now, I'm going to say this. Those people, they've got good intentions. Their hearts are right. But the point of the matter is, is that they bring discredit on the preaching of the word. They bring discredit on the gospel. And they make the rest of us pastors who decide that we're going to do a series like this, they make us look bad. Nevertheless, I preach on. And I continue to share with you about prophecy. The fourth reason I believe that people do not speak about uh, prophecy is because of a lack of understanding of the times in which we live and the increasing closeness of Christ's return. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you some perspective to show you where we're at. We talked about Israel becoming a nation and that that is the, the great sign that ushers the beginning of the end. And we talked about this battle that will happen between uh, Russia or with Russia and Iran and, and some of the surrounding nations against Israel. We talked about the Battle of Gog and Magog. Well, today I want to talk to you about the Antichrist. And we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, um, Paul's response to the Thessalonians. Those are the Christians in the city of Thessalonia. By the way, Thessalonia is in northern Greece. It's about 500 kilometers north of Athens. It's where Gloria and I lived for three and a half years. And it was where Jesse was born. And the believers in Thessalonica, they were concerned because people were saying the, the Messiah has come, the Christ has come, and, or that the Christ had come and left. And, and they were all uptight and worried and concerned. And so Paul has sent them this letter with, a, with, a, uh, with the express purpose of setting the record straight so they understand what's going on. Uh, by the way, I want to say thank you to everybody for coming out on this Sunday morning with all the snow and the snowdrifts. God bless you. Now back to the program. <laughs> so Paul's saying, here's what you need to know. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how, he will, how we will be gathered to meet him. Let's take a look at this scripture verse. We read down in verse 3. Don't be fooled by what they say. That are the, those are the people that say the Christ has come and the Messiah is coming. And this is why you got to know your prophecy, people. you got to know your prophecy so that you are not swayed by every wind of doctrine and by every idea that comes floating across the airwaves. Don't be fooled by what these people are saying, for that day will not come. That is, Jesus will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. Now, the term man of lawlessness that you see here is just another term or another name for the Antichrist. Now, I've got to just say this. Jesus calls them the false Christs, and the Apostle John calls them the Antichrist. In fact, he's the only one who actually uses that term, Antichrist. We latch onto that term because it best describes who the man of lawlessness is. You may have read in your Bible the man of perdition. How many have heard that term? Or the man of sin. Uh, man of lawlessness, whatever you want to call him, the false Christ, Jesus calls them. John calls them the Antichrist. In Revelation, he's called the beast. Whatever you want to call him, you can call him whatever you want. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, he is the Antichrist, and we're going to figure out what that's all about in just a moment. So here's what Jesus says while his, when his disciples say to him, how, how will we know the end is here? What, what will be the signs of the end? And, uh, and so Jesus answers that question. We read it in Mark 13, Matthew 24 to 25, and in Luke 21. 
And he warns his followers that there will be terrible events and persecution that will occur before his second coming. And some of the things that, that will happen, of course, you know, we've, we've seen crazy weather patterns, uh, $50 billion worth of damage in the New York area. Who would have believed that could have happened? We were hearing about earthquakes right here on, the, on our own Canadian uh, West Coast. How many have heard about those things? Folks, we, you just saw the video clip about Iran attacking the U.S. Like, these are all crazy things that shouldn't be happening, but they are. And these are signs. Now, is it the sign? I don't know, but these definitely are signs. And Jesus says that in the last days there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars. So we recognize that these are signs that Jesus has spoken about, and these are things that are happening that are unlike anything that we've seen before. So we, we sit up and we take notice, and we say, well, hang on a minute here. We, we better try to understand what's going on around us. So Jesus says, and one of the signs that you're going to see is that there's going to be all kinds of false Christs and prophets. And by the way, just Google. Google go on Google and, and find it. You're going to see all kinds of people claim to be the Messiah, claim to be Christ. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Can I just remind everybody what Christ means? Christ is the Greek for Messiah, actually. It means anointed one. The Messiah means the anointed one. Christ means the anointed one. We use the term Christ because it comes from the Greek. We're not, we're not Hebrew-speaking people, uh, and, 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 of course, from the, from the Greek, it goes to the Latin, and this becomes part of our vocabulary. So we call it false Christ, call it false messiahs, call it whatever you want. The fact of the matter is, it's not Jesus, but people who claim to be Jesus. So Paul, um, or John tells us that, that there's going to be a spirit of antichrist that will invade our generation. And I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment. But it's a spirit of antichrist. It's that which opposes Christ. Antichrist will set up his rule here on earth, and uh, he, will, uh, he will be the source of incredible, incredible evil. Uh, I'll talk about more of that in just a moment. But know this today, that the Antichrist is known as the man of sin, the man of perdition, the man of lawlessness, the false Christ, the Antichrist. So now everybody here has got a bit of a primer, uh, an introduction to who and what the Antichrist is. Now, I've I got to tell you something. Uh, as we read about the man of lawlessness, the beast, uh, we, we, we recognize that, that the Bible is consistent if we read about it in, in the Old Testament, in Daniel, for instance, the Antichrist is known as the, as the little horn. Uh, he's the one that leads what looks like a, a rebirth or a reconstituted Roman Empire. Um, we can see how this could very well be. We, we Bible teachers and Bible scholars got really excited when we saw the, the European economic community, when we saw the rise of what looked like a, a sort of a, 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 Roman, a new Roman Empire, because Daniel tells us that the, the Antichrist will actually come from the new reconstituted Roman Empire. Is, is what we've got right now it? I'm not 100% sure. I think it is, and it seems to be. We've got, a, we've got one currency for all of Europe. It's called the euro. Uh, and so, and, and there is there's the, the, the government, 
that rules or governs the European community. So, yes, we're seeing all sorts of evidence that, indeed, this Roman Empire has been revived or reborn, and we do know from Daniel that the Antichrist will come out of that, leading, leading the charge against all that we believe in. Now, I want to say this. The Antichrist, when he appears, he will not appear to be evil. See, and this is why he's going to get a gathering, because he's going to be very attractive, very charismatic, People will be very excited about, about this Antichrist. They'll be very excited about following this Antichrist. And I'm going to tell you this. He's going to be an economic genius. He's going to be a foreign policy genius. He will be extremely attractive to everyone. Now, how many have heard of the Mark of the Beast? How many know that it probably is not going to be a 666 on your forehead, right? Probably it's not going to be that. We don't know exactly what it's going to be. And, but we do know this, is that whatever it is, it will, be, it will be a tool used by the Antichrist to track every single one of your financial transactions. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Whether you, whether you think it's an evil thing or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is, is that it's, it really is logical and it really makes sense. I, I personally believe it's an amoral thing. It's, it's not immoral. It's not moral. It's amoral. There's no, nothing moral about it. But what you need to, and what I mean by that is, that is that it makes sense. It's logical. Because here's the thing. When, when the Antichrist now is able to control your, your financial transactions, guess what happens? No more black market. Does anybody know why Greece is in the financial turmoil it's in today? It's because of the black market. Gloria and I know we live there. We had a great, a great thing going, didn't we? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. We didn't, we're in the black market. <laughs> Jesse's not really our kid. We bought him there. Uh, it's a joke, Jess. <laughs> that country is in, in big problems right now because of the black market, because of the dealings under the table. Now think about this. Antichrist now controls your financial dealings. There's no, there's no cash. Everything is, is according to, to whatever it is, a computer chip in your head, I don't know, in your hand. Uh, they've already got the technology. They could, they could do it tomorrow. Guess what else? No more selling drugs on the streets. We're controlled, now we control the drug problem. We control crime. No more laundering money. You see where I'm going with this. It totally makes sense. I don't know why we didn't do this 200 years ago. No more black market, no more drug, illicit or illegal drugs, and, and, and it goes on and on and on. You, you see where I'm going with this. And everybody's going to look at the Antichrist and say, this guy is a genius. Yes, he needs to be our world ruler. Some of you will remember back in the reign of George Bush I. Anybody remember him? He talked about a, world, a new world order. Now, for most people, they didn't, they didn't really, you know, strike a chord with him. But for those of us who know Bible prophecy, we're saying, wow, what he just said is a, is a, is a major significance because he's talking about, about a world where we've got one world ruler in this new world order where he rules. And it, again, whether you think it's immoral or not, it doesn't matter. It makes sense. And that's how Antichrist is going to make progress here. Because whatever he's doing will totally be logical and it will make sense in every way. 
And so here's, uh, here's the thing. Antichrist moves in, and he establishes his mark of the beast. And the Bible says if you don't have this mark, listen, you, you don't do any financial transactions. You don't buy or sell. All that now is closed down to you. So some people say, well, I'm afraid to use, uh, you know, use my credit card because there's a chip in it. And does that mean I've got the mark? No, I'm not, I wouldn't say that. Because um, my credit card has a chip, but I, I'm sure I didn't take the mark of the beast. But I want to tell you this. That however the mark of the beast is administered, there'll be no shadow of doubt that it is not just a, a smart a smart financial transactional uh, product. It will be there's a, there'll be a spiritual component to it. So don't panic about getting mark of the beast. But now getting back to that, does anybody know what kind of condition the America uh, the United States is in right now? I'll tell you, folks. The United States. Listen to this. The United States owes a lot of money. As of 2012, the U.S. debt is larger than the size of its economy. Did you get that? Its debt now is bigger than its economy. In other words, it owes more than it takes in every year. The debt ceiling is currently set at $16.394 trillion. They're in in serious shape. Now, I don't know if you remember me mentioning this, but I said that when, when, when we see the battle of Gog and Magog, when Russia attacks, when Russia attacks Israel, the United States does not come to Israel's defense. And that comes as a great shock to a lot of people because, because historically the United States has always stood by Israel. But for the first time, the United States does not step up to help. In fact, nobody steps up to help Israel. No one except God alone. And God says it's through this that he reveals his great power to the whole earth. Everybody will know that Israel has a God, a God who's all-powerful and almighty, who's sovereign. The question is this, and, and here's what a lot of Bible scholars had a real problem with. How is it that Israel does not get the help of the United States? And, the, and, and, and the, the short answer, or the most logical answer at this moment, is that, frankly, America, America just can't afford it. They cannot afford to step up to the plate to help Israel. So now you begin to recognize how the Antichrist will get his feet firmly established because he will actually offer a solution. Revelation 13, 15 to 18, no commerce can be done without Antichrist's approval. He will be seen as an economic genius. He will be seen as a foreign policy genius. He will emerge from Europe. Some people think that the Antichrist is Barack Obama. I didn't hear anybody say amen, so I'm glad. But whatever you think about him, he's, he's not European. Um, it's interesting because if you Google Antichrist, who's the Antichrist, you're going to get answers like Barack Obama, George Bush II. Um, you're going to get Justin Bieber. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, 
You're going to get Justin Bieber? I mean, I guess he's got a sort of a world domination thing going right now, I, I guess, in a manner of speaking. Uh, um, I guess if you're going to use that criteria, you'd have to say that the guy who does the Gangnam Style, open Gangnam Style, uh, <laughs> he seems to be taking over the world. Uh, I think his video's got the most hits. Look, I'm joking around here a bit, but what I want to say is this, is that whoever this person is will have mass appeal. The whole world will look to him as being the answer to the, solu- to, to the, the problems in the world. He'll be the solution to the problems in the world. Okay, so here's the thing. We discussed who the Antichrist is. We discussed his name, where he's going to come from, what he's going to do. But here's what, here's what we read. Let's look at the next verse here. In verse 4, here's what Paul says to the, the Christians who were confused in Thessalonia. He says, we, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. So what happens now is that, is that Paul tells us that there will be a great rebellion. And this great rebellion that will take place on the earth is both... It's, it's both led by the Antichrist, but it's, it's not solely led by the Antichrist. Because what's going to happen in the world? Well, there will be uh, what the Bible calls an apostasy, a turning away from God. We're already seeing that in North America. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We're already seeing that. What you're going to see is a, a wholesale rejection of the principles of Scripture. The morals that, that you and I were taught as children will be absolutely rejected. And we're seeing that happen already. We've, we're starting to see kids graduating from high school who grew up in a school system that refused to talk about morality and about morals and about commandments, the commandments of God. You remember the great fight to get the Ten Commandments out of the school, out of the courthouse, and just... You, you, you see what's happening now. We've got, we've got a generation of immoral young people. And when I say immoral, I mean people who don't know, they don't know right from wrong. Or if they do know right from wrong, they refuse to do the right thing. So we, we've got a rejection of the commandments of God. And can I just remind everybody what we're talking about? Human life no longer be valued. How many understand that, that human life is, is of utmost importance to God? Anybody know that? What is the, what is the great covenant that God gives Noah after, uh, after the, the, the boat lands? It's interesting. He says, anybody, anybody who sheds blood, their blood shall be shed. Why? Because God values human life. This is the great mark of Christianity. I don't know if you know this. It's a great mark of, of the Judeo-Christian ethic. We value human life. Well, guess what we don't do today? We don't value human life. We see it in China. One child, uh, one child policy. If any more children, we've got to abort it. Terrible. And in a, in a godless nation, if the child is not a boy, if it's born a girl, then that, that child oftentimes is left to die until they get what they want. In North America, we're a little bit more sophisticated about it. We get an ultrasound, and if it's not what we want, we abort it. You think that doesn't happen? It happens. If the child is, maybe is going to have some kind of a defect, we abort it. 
Some of you know Chris and Charlene Zilke. They were a part of our church some years back. Now they're in Edmonton. But they, the doctors recommended to Charlene and Chris, look, that poor little Lauren has got a club foot. Uh, she probably, you should probably abort this. Shocking. That little girl is, is fine. She's had surgeries done on her legs. She's one of the brightest, sharpest, most beautiful little girls you ever saw in your life. The doctors were ready to abort that little one. This is the, the world we live in today, a great rebellion. There's going to be a, a horrible rise in immorality. How many understand today that we're living in an age of pornography? Anybody know this? It's the great elephant in the room. Everybody knows it's there, but nobody wants to talk about it. I'm telling you, people, the, the, the scourge of, of pornography I believe it will be the undoing of this country. You go, on the, on, you go on, on the internet and you check the statistics on this and you're going to see that almost every young person who has been on, on the internet has been exposed to pornography. And yet most of us here who were born 15, 20 years ago we knew nothing about that when we were children. We knew nothing about that. And now all the kids know all about it. And they're not being taught that it's sacred and it's beautiful and it's from God. We live in a world in rebellion against the principles of God's word. You need to understand how serious this is, people. We live in a world that is more in love with money than they are in love with people or God. We love things We don't love people. And it gets worse. Listen to this. The Bible tells us that this immorality that will will descend upon us is going to produce perversions of every kind. And I want you to know today, when we talk about perversion, you need to understand Anything that is not in line with God's will and God's purpose, anything that's not in line with what God has created is considered perverse or twisted or not God's best. We live in a world where right now, and and don't anybody go away from here saying Pastor Allen hates people who who are sinners. I don't. I don't. Listen to to this. We've got got a, a... a militant movement to advance the homosexual agenda. How many understand that? We just had two, I think it was two states in America that just devoted to, to allow gay marriage. Even though marriage for all of, all of human history has been defined by one man and one woman. It's never been anything else. We have just rewrote the rules of what, what, what marriage is. Now, don't go from here and say, Pastor Allen hates homosexuals. I don't. I'm telling you, though, what the Bible standard is. I'm telling you what God's will is, what God wants. And by the way, don't ever ever think that the only, only sexual perversion is homosexuality. It's not. We see it in many forms. Adultery, pornography, any fornication. Anything that is not God's standard or what's, what's acceptable to God. Does, does that mean I'm against people? No, I'm not against anybody. 
What I am against is anything that doesn't line up with God's word, God's revealed word. So if anybody here today thinks for one moment that this book is not going to be called hate literature soon, it's already being called hate literature. It's coming. Why? Because this is the standard. God set the standard for morality, for what is right. God's word tells us the difference between right and wrong. We do not pick and choose. That's not, that's not an option to us. We don't get to pick and choose what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. God says this is what will happen in the last days. A great rebellion against God. People will go against their conscience. And even worse, people will begin to worship this one called the Antichrist. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. What you need to know is that this is a direct fulfillment of Daniel chapter 19, or Daniel chapter 9. Here's what Jesus says. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, what's the abomination? That, That the Antichrist sets himself up as God. This, Jesus says, will will desolate the temple. So when you see the standing, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So the Antichrist will exalt himself above God to be worshipped in the Lord's temple. He will proclaim that he is God. And he will do all kinds of counterfeit miracles, be all kinds of signs and wonders, and he will gain a following through his deception. Revelation calls him the beast. Then the beast, Revelation 13, 5 to 8, then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months, three and a half years. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven, And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. Listen to this. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life. Before the world was made, the book that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered. So here's what I know. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you have nothing to worry about. And so I, I tell you today, if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, if you have not decided to follow Jesus yet, you may want to consider that today. Now, I know some of you are sitting here today, some of the sharp ones, you're saying, well, hold on a minute here, Pastor. This all sounds right and good, but you said that Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, is going to set up an image of himself in the temple. How's that going to happen? Because there's no temple in Israel right now, right? I'm glad you brought that up. Because here's, here's what you need to know. We're talking about Ezekiel here, and some of you are saying... What does this message today have to do with Ezekiel? I'm glad you brought that up. Ezekiel 40 to 48 deals with what we call 
the third temple, sometimes called Ezekiel's temple. It will be this third temple, I believe, that the Antichrist, from which the Antichrist will set up his rule and will put up the image of himself. And whereas the rest of the world will say, no problem, wherever you are, we will worship you, no problem. The Jewish people will know, this is wrong. This goes against all that we know. You see, Antichrist is going to set up an alliance and the Jewish people are going to think, this man is on our corner, he loves, he's caring for us. But suddenly when he puts up his image, then they'll know, this is not Messiah. We are in major trouble. So, there's no temple right now, right? Well, here's what you need to know. If you read Ezekiel chapter 40 or 48, you'll discover that the architectural dimensions that are provided in these chapters do not correspond to any temple pre- or post-exilic. They don't, it's, it's not the same as Solomon's temple or Zerubbabel's and not even Herod's. We're talking about something brand new. This is amazing. I encourage anyone here today, you do this, don't do it now, do it after. Go home, get, get, get on Google and, and just Google third temple, third temple plans. Here's what you'll discover. Remember, 2,500 years ago, this is spoken of. The fact of the matter is, when it comes to the third temple, my information tells me that they could start building it tomorrow. They're ready to go. Did you hear that? They're ready to go. There are 12 groups that are in preparation, they've chosen the location. Apparently, there's a computer registry of 300,000 of the sons of Aaron. That's the Levites, because they're the ones that serve in the temple. Many of the robes are prepared. There are over 150 sacred vessels that have, been, have already been restored, including some of the most difficult and complicated projects, such as the menorah. That's the candlestick with seven candles. And the precious stone to the high priest's breastplate. Again, you gotta, this is why you have to read your Bible, people. It's, there's, there's a reason for that. It's all there. It's all very important. The, the pre, high priest has a breastplate with, with the gems representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And listen to this. The architects are selected to rebuild the plans according to the Bible, all but the Ark of the Covenant, covenant is ready to go. And here's what they say. They say they believe that they have the Ark of the Covenant, and they're just waiting, waiting for that temple to be built. You can see why they would want to keep that secret, because they need that Ark of the Covenant for the temple. And they say also need it will be the pure red heifer for sacrifices. Israel, my friends, is far closer than you and I realize to having that third temple built. Did you know that every day, three times a day, Jews recite this prayer? Quote, May it be your will that the temple be speedily rebuilt in our own time. And it's a prayer that has been prayed for almost 2,000 years. But today, Jews living in Jerusalem are doing more than just praying. 
And the report is that just a few steps away from the Western Wall, rabbis and craftsmen are building what they call a temple in waiting. When that temple's built, Antichrist will be setting up his image for the world to worship. Folks, we are living close to the end now. Now, some are going to ask, is the Antichrist alive today? I might, I'm guessing he probably is. I, I don't know. I'm not going to be a prophecy nut or a sensationalist. I'm going to tell you what we know, but I'm not going to make wild predictions. I'm guessing that he probably is alive. Will you recognize him? Probably not at first. He's going to be, he'll be very intelligent, very capable, very charismatic. He will be an expert in economics, an expert in foreign policy. But I'm going to tell you this. Ready for this? The best way to make sure that you don't miss the truth, that you don't miss the real Christ, is by knowing the real Christ. You have to have your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to be in relationship and walk with the Master. And here's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 7. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. In other words, make sure, because at the end of the day, folks, the, the final solution for our spiritual health and growth and happiness is a relationship with God. How many know that today? We keep hammering that, but you've got to hear it again. You have to have a vibrant relationship to Jesus Christ. And Peter goes on to say this, since everything around us is going to be destroyed, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along, on that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. Does that sound perhaps like a nuclear weapon going off? Verse 13, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth that he has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. Let me say this to you today in closing. If you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, if your life is not what it needs to be, I would recommend that based on the signs that are unfolding around us, God in his mercy is giving you another chance, another opportunity. Don't let a day go by if your life is not what it needs to be, if you're living in a backslidden state, if maybe you're one of those who is in bondage to pornography, you are, are not in a right relationship with your spouse, if you are indulged in any kind of sexual perversion or anything that goes against God's word, my recommendation is that you make peace with God immediately and do whatever it takes to get your life on track with God. God loves you, and the Bible says it's not God's will that anyone should perish. Would you stand with me, please, as we close? God, thank you right now that, that you give us your word. You give us your prophetic word that instructs us, that guides us, that informs us, and prepares us for these last days. Lord, the signs have slowly been unfolding around us. And our, our problem is that so often we become cold, hard, cold and hard-hearted and we, we start taking it for granted and we see these things unfold and then we forget. 
and yet they're just slowly unfolding before us. God, help us to take a few steps back and see the big picture and see that, in fact, the time is quickly coming to an end. We have seen so many indisputable signs take place. We've seen the establishment of Israel. We're seeing Israel right now preparing for a third temple. God, we, uh, we don't know all the details, but we certainly know enough to recognize that we're living in very strange days. So God, we pray now. Do a work in the hearts of each one. If there's any here that need to talk to the pastor to get their, right, their life right with God, that they would do that as quickly as possible. And we thank you for your grace and strength in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell someone beside you, I can hardly wait to see the Messiah. <laughs>